I was at the Pasadena Senior Center uh, earlier this week for a meeting, and after the meeting, which was quite an interesting meeting, um, I said, hey, before everybody goes, I've got two announcements. One is our Pasadena Junior Theater Group is producing and showing this week and next weekend The Wiz, and so it's a great opportunity to bring your kids, your grandkids, and uh, just go for the sheer enjoyment of it. They do a great job. So I was trying to help PJT out, and I want to let you know that as well. Their production is this afternoon at 2 o'clock and then next weekend as well. And then also I said, say, I've got something for you. <clears throat> and I had a bunch of these cards together, and I handed them out all around the table. In fact, we ran out. And one lady leaned over and she said, is it free? And I said, sure. And she said, oh, I'm going to bring lots of friends. And so I hope to see Uni here next week. How many of you, now let me listen carefully because I've got some particular instructions. I'm assuming that you're already inviting family, friends, other Christians that already know the Lord, and so they're going to come to our 16th service next, next Sunday. We're not talking about those folks, okay? The 65th, yes. Um, what? It's the 16th. Uh, next week, and on the 16th, we're going to do this, and... Um, what I want to ask you, how many of you have invited people who are not going anywhere to church? As far as you know, they're far from God. That's, the, that's your real target group. How many of you are asking? Okay, a few. You've still got a week to invite folks to this service next Sunday at 6 o'clock. And uh, our Christmas around the world starts at 4.30. It's going to be a fun time. We handed you these cards. They do absolutely no good if you take them home because you already know about it. It's just wasting trees and paper and ink. But if you will hand them out to somebody, it's going to do some good. So let me really lean on you. This is the last opportunity to become a bridge of love and invite someone to our services next weekend. It's a great opportunity. Joyce and I have got a bunch of folks that we've invited, and I hope you do too. Um, this past week, Joyce was rummaging around upstairs in our uh, church history room, and she came across some things that were interesting. So I've asked her to come up here and tell you about that. Uh, we moved to Pasadena four years ago, bought a house here a couple miles from the church, and uh, it's on Sierra Bonita. What did you find? This week, uh, I'll give you a tad bit of history. 2008 is this church's, First Baptist Church Pasadena's, 125th anniversary. And we've been talking, uh, Steve and I and the board have been talking with regard to that anniversary time. And so Lisa Bledsoe and I are co-chairing the 125th anniversary planning team. So this week we went up to the historical room. That is a room that if you haven't visited, you need to just come over to the church someday and say, I'd like to go in the historical room and look around. It is amazing. Anyway, Lisa and I were up there and we were looking at documents hoping to pull out some really cool things for the anniversary. And so I was looking at bulletins from 1904, 1917. I pulled out a bulletin from 1928. And I, and I actually opened it up and began to read it. I don't know why this one I pulled out, but I did. And it showed several circle meetings, and I thought, small groups. There were six of them. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? They had six circle groups, and they were meeting in different homes. And I just was looking at them, just curious. And I looked at this one, and the Fredericksons, and I don't know if there's anyone here who might date back to when the Fredericksons were here, but the Fredericksons actually had circle number five at their home. And their home was at 964 North Sierra Bonita Boulevard. 
Avenue. If you come to my house, you're coming to the Fredericksons' home this afternoon where they held circle number five back in 1928. By the way, what's going on at your house? Oh, my house, my house. Isn't that cool? I just screamed when I saw that. I go, Steve, you have to see this. My goodness. Uh, I got a little bit excited. Uh, my house this afternoon from 3 to 7, we're having open house tea and crumpets. No, I have no crumpets. Uh, tea and goodies. Just come as you can and stay as long as you can and uh, enjoy some fellowship and some food and uh, the fireplace and Christmas tree and stuff. Great. Thanks. Oh, you don't how, how amazing is that? I mean, you think there's about a hundred years of old bulletins and old newsletters up there. She happens to pull out one that has this address on it, happens to see it. I suppose this couple is the couple that first built the house. I have no idea, but it was built in 1924. They were there in 1928. Anyhow, kind of cool. Um, thought, thought you might want to know that. I was reading the paper this morning very early, actually just scanning through it for any interesting headlines. And in the California section of the L.A. Times... I read this. Steve Lopez writes a column there, and I frequently read his column, and it says, Homeless once, she's living a life with hope. And that caught my attention. So as I read through the article, <clears throat> he's actually writing a follow-up common, column, because a few years ago, he wrote about a woman named Lee Sevilla. And what was interesting about Lee Sevilla was she was a, in her late 60s, early 70s, she had gone through a tough situation in Illinois, moved out here. She had kids who wanted her to come live with them, but she was a very independent woman, and she said no. And she was working at a, as a receptionist, a very low-paying job, but it paid so low she could not afford any housing here in Southern California and in El Segundo where she lived. So she was living in her Dodge Neon. And Steve told about that, told about her going to work, told about her ritual of where she took showers and how she took care of herself and where she parked. And the result of that was, uh, this is several years since now, he's writing about her again and says, homeless once, she's living a life of hope. She's now living in a Motel 6, uh, living there permanently. And what happened was she eventually lost her job. I think she's 70 years old now. And enough people had responded to his first article. Some just sent her money. Some knew she wanted to be an artist, so they sent her uh, commissions and said, would you draw a picture of my dog or cat? And they'd send photographs or they'd send and uh, make me a card or some thanks cards or something like that. So she's been doing that, and it's brought in enough money that she can now afford. The guy at the Motel 6 has given her a reduced rate so she can afford to stay there permanently. And <clears throat> I thought that was kind of cool. Now, at the end of the story, it says this. Apparently, Steve Lopez went to visit her, and he says, um, Sevilla had made a, po a pot of Folgers for my visit. There was a box of wheat thins by the dresser a Noel sign in the window, and a book called Christmas in My Heart on a small table. Every day in my journal, she said, I write thanks to God that I don't have to live in my car anymore. This morning I'm wondering, do you have hope? You think of the commercial with the milk mustache on the person, and they say what? Got, got milk. This morning I'd like to say, got hope, with a question mark. Are you a hope-filled person? Have you got hope? Now, last week I introduced our Advent theme for the, this year with the word imagine. And I reminded you we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. And some of you have agreed to read through the book. I hope you'll join me in that. And I encouraged you to, from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 2 to imagine peace. And we talked about that. What would it be like if peace really happened in our lives, 
in our city and our world. Now, this morning, we have another word to imagine. It's one of the greatest words in any language. It's one of the three words, a part of the trinity of the gifts, the best gifts God gives to people. And I want to talk to you about that word this morning, and I want to talk from Isaiah chapter 11. And if you'd like to turn to page 641, you can find it in the the Pew Bible. And we're going to look at Isaiah 11. I think I'll do what I did last week. We'll go through the Scripture a little bit, and then we're going to move to, well, so what does this mean for us? So it's important for you to have some basic elementary understanding of what exactly the prophet's talking about. So I'd like to begin there in Isaiah chapter 11. Now, imagine with me. How many of you can imagine? You're willing to do a little imagining? Good. That's, that's pretty good for Baptists, 50%. Um, think about it if you were part of that other 49%. Go ahead and imagine. It won't hurt. Um, imagine with, you're with me on a trip, and we're in the Ozarks of Missouri, and we're driving through the Ozark Mountains. That's a euphemism. There are no mountains in Missouri. They think they're mountains. We'd call them hills. But anyhow, we're rolling along through the hills or the mountains of Missouri, and there are really only two things in Missouri. There are three. There are bugs, but I'm not going to mention the bugs. There are two things. There are rocks in the ground, and there are trees growing everywhere, lots of woods. Now, if you live in Missouri, you probably heat, not with oil or gas, you probably heat with wood. And if you own any land, the idea would be to have less woods and more fields. So you could have some cattle or some grass or something, some hay. And so what you do is you take your chainsaw and you go in and you you cut down the trees and you cut them as low as you can to the ground and you use that for firewood. And then if you've cut several acres, and I've seen this happen where all of a sudden there was, you know, there used to be woods and now there's a field. Now, if you look out, you say, wow, they've cleared a big area of land. And that's good because now the grass can grow. You can have more hay for your cattle or whatever. Well, if you were to leave that field and come back a year or two or three or four later, say five years later, what would you find? A field? You'd find stuff growing up. And if you were gone very long, you would find new trees 5, 10, 12, 15 feet high because they would come back. They would grow up. Now, what they do is you would have a brush hog if you were one of these folks in Missouri, and you'd mount it behind your tractor, and it's just a great big thing. looks like a lawnmower. It's maybe five or six feet across. And anything that tractor can drive over, that thing can cut up. So you just chop it down. And you drive through your field several times a year to cut down those saplings that came up. And over time, you would hope a field would be born there. There wouldn't be any more trees. You'd have grass, and it would be good. Now you say, well, that's strange, Steve. Why are you talking about uh, the Ozarks and cutting down trees and stuff growing up? What's that got to do with... Advent. Well, come to chapter 11 with me, and in chapter 11, um, we read these words. A shoot, I call this section 1 through 5, oh shoot. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, you can doodle if you'd like, um, and besides on your outline there in the in the worship folder, you might want to draw a stump, just something like this, you know, a little stump. And I don't know, growing up in the city, as so many of us do, we don't have a chance very often to see stumps and trees cut down, but actually right outside here, one of the trees got out of control or something, so they cut it off. And they kind of cut it high so you could actually sit on it. 
A true guy cutting down trees would never do that. You'd trip over it or can't drive over it, you know. But anyhow, this is a stump. And the scripture begins by saying, a stump of Jesse. Now, you may or may not know who in the world is Jesse. I mean, I think there's a Jesse or two here this morning, actually. But uh, no offense, we're not talking about a person here. It's a tree that's been cut down, a stump of Jesse. And Jesse is actually the father of David. Now, it's very unusual in Scripture that you would find this phrase, a stump of Jesse. In fact, it's only here. And normally, when you talk about somebody, you would say, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, son of David. You don't skip back. You just usually say the father's name. And so the fact that the prophet says a stump of Jesse is very interesting, and you could dig deeper into that. It's quite, it's quite interesting. But he says there's this branch that's going to grow out of it. Now, I don't know how to draw a branch, but we'll try. And so you could say there's this stump, and what happens is that something starts growing out of it. Looks like a branch, right? And the idea then is that whatever this was, this tree, it's been cut down, but now there's something growing out the side. And that's, that's the problem when you cut down trees. They don't stay cut down. Something starts growing. Now, what does this mean, a stump of Jesse? Well, if you were a Jew back in that day, you would understand they're talking about David's father, Jesse. And this idea of a stump really stands for the idea that David's kingdom has been cut down. Whatever God promised in 1 Samuel 7 about David being king forever and ever and his sons ruling and we're going to be this great nation, it's not working. It's been cut down. So any Jew who heard this would have immediately understood, oh, he's talking about the bad times we're in. Now, to understand how bad things were, you might want to flip back to chapter 1 or you can just listen. But it's hard for me to uh, convey as well as I need to how bad the times were in Isaiah's day. There had been a civil war. There were two kingdoms now. The nation was split. There's a king up north. There's a king down south. The Assyrians and Babylonians and other folks overrun you all the time. You're weak. In in, in the first chapter, verse 7, it says this. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your very presence... In your very presence, aliens devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. It's a tough time. It's a tough time in Israel. Now, when Isaiah talks about this stump, everyone understands. He's talking about the Davidic kingdom. It's not growing like it should. It's not a strong tree. It's just a stump, and it's been cut down. But there's this idea of a branch. Is the stump dead? No. So let's move to verse 2. Now, you see, he immediately, it's no longer a stump. We're talking about a person. And he says in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Now, hang on to that word rest. We're going to come back to it. But he says three things, and this is poetry, and there's a couplet here. Three times he talks about the spirit. It's the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Now, wisdom in the true Bible sense is like the wisdom that Solomon asked for. When King Solomon was king, you remember God said, I'll give you one wish. What would you like? And what did he wish for? Wisdom. And Solomon said, I really don't know how to do my job, God. I need wisdom. And there's that great story where he was going to cut the baby in half and he, you know, he conveyed the wisdom and found out who the real mother was. God gave Solomon that wisdom so that he could rule with, with true justice and righteousness and he could be a smart leader. So this wisdom is the idea that you'll have the skill to do the job. Now the second couplet says, the spirit of counsel and might. 
You not, you not only need skill as a leader to do your job, you need the power to do your job. And so this person, whoever, has might. And then thirdly, he has knowledge and fear of the Lord. He, this person, whoever it is, who's got, who has God's spirit, is not only very smart and can lead, not only has the power to lead, but this is a submissive person to God. He leads with the fear of the Lord, with God ruling. Now, I want to go through a, a couple other things here um, as you get your head around this passage. But a minute ago I said in verse 2, the Lord's Spirit rests upon him. Skip over to verse 10. You see, <clears throat> as we continue through the prophecy, it says on that day, the root of Jesse, we go back to this idea of this sprout coming up, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, plural, the nations, not just Israel, shall inquire of him, whoever this person is, the nations are going to ask about him, his dwelling shall be glorious. <clears throat> now, the word dwelling, unfortunately, in this translation, it says dwelling, but it's the same word rest. His rest shall be glorious. You say, Steve, well, you're kind of wearing me out here about this rest. Well, do you remember this one who's going to come is going to produce a world where there's rest? You remember when Jesus was teaching and he said, uh, come to me, all you who are laboring, you're burdened, you have problems in your life, you're struggling. Jesus invited us to come, right? And he said, I will give you what? Rest, rest. It's interesting, isn't it? That this one, too, creates a place of rest. Now, <clears throat> before we move off this idea of the stump, I want you to think with me for a moment about areas in your life where there might be a stump. In other words, are there any places in your life where you feel like, I've been cut down, or a relationship has been cut off, or I've been in this school or business world and I got cut up? Any places in life where you just feel like a stump? Keep that in mind. Now, the next section, he talks about how he's going to judge how this leader will rule the people. And in verses, part of verse 3 and verse 4, in verse 5, it talks about that. And my summary is very, very simple and very quick. He says that there will be prosperity for the poor, and he's going to whack the wicked. Prosperity for the poor, and he's going to whack. In other words, this ruler, this shoot that comes up here, is going to have God's spirit, and he's going to rule with justice and righteousness. It's going to be good. Now, in chapter 11, verses 6 through the following, um, he begins to talk about the animal kingdom, and we have some beautiful poetry here. Let me read to you from verse 6 and verse 8. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine Christmas shopping this season? And you go down south here to the Petco store, and at the Petco store, there's a big sign in the window, and it says, For sale, wolves, bears, lions, for your kids. be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Can you imagine, in fact, in verse 8, we read, The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. Now, J.P. was here earlier. I wish he was still in the service here. I'd bring him up here and show him to you. But J.P.'s about, uh, what is he, a year old? Uh, he was all dressed up with his little stuff, less than a year old. His little knit cap and his ears sticking out. And he's all bundled up there with his mom. And, uh, he's, you know, I don't even know if he can sit up yet, but can you imagine if we put J.P. on the floor, you're over at his dad and mom's house, and there's J.P. on the floor, and he's kind of cooing and cuddling and learning how to sit up straight, 
and there's a cobra running around the room. No problem. It's not going to hurt him. Because this day has arrived. Can you imagine that? That'd be kind of cool. Have you ever seen a lion in the zoo and you'd say, man, I wonder what they feel like. I'd like to dig my hands into that fur. Well, you could. Because that's the kind of day that the prophet is speaking about. Okay? So it's a new day. It's, it's a great day. Now, <clears throat> as we think about this prophecy, so what does it mean? Well, the prophet is obviously talking about a day that hasn't happened yet. And he says, can you imagine this? And he says, that this stump that's been cut down, it's not dead. Something is going to grow up, and it's going to be good. And he describes that for us. Now, as you and I are here together today, uh, my question to you is, can you imagine hope? Hope is our word for today. Can you imagine hope? In your outline is this quote, A true Christian should, not, should have but one fear, lest he should not hope enough. I like that. Do you hope? Do you hope enough? Now, a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. Hope is not a positive attitude or optimism. Please hear me today. I like optimism. I like a positive attitude. But I'm not talking today about optimism or a positive attitude. In fact, uh, this fellow Jonathan Sachs, I've also given you this quote, wrote the following. One of the most important distinctions I've learned in the course of reflection on Jewish history is the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is the belief that things will get better. Hope is the faith that together we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue, hope an active one. It takes no courage to be an optimist, but it does take a great deal of courage to have hope. I like that. That's hope. Uh, I went to the Internet and I looked up the word hope and I said, maybe I'll find something good. And uh, I came across... Uh, a website that says the formula for hope. And I thought, that's perfect. That's something I need. Maybe that'll preach. So I went to Brenda Watson's website, and I looked up for the, the, the formula for hope. Would anybody like the formula for hope? I've got it here. The H stands for um, high fiber. The O stands for omega-3. The P stood for stands for probiotics. I don't know what that is. Uh, and the E stands for enzymes. I didn't buy the formula. Uh, so I was a little disappointed there. But, but where do we get hope? How do we come up with hope? Uh, there's a man, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's a philosopher. His name is Vaslav Havel, and I don't know if I pronounce it correctly, but he's the former president of Czechoslovakia. He grew up in uh, Czechoslovakia under communism. And when it was set free, he became the first president of the republic, the Czech Republic. And he writes a lot. He's a poet. He said the following about hope. I am not an optimist because I'm not sure everything ends well. I'm not a pessimist because I'm not sure everything ends badly. I just carry hope in my heart. Life without hope is empty, boring, and useless. I cannot imagine that I could strive for something if I did not carry hope in me. I am thankful for God for this gift. It is as big as the gift of life itself. Hope. Do you have the gift of hope? Can you imagine hope in your life this morning? Can you imagine hope for whatever stumps you may have? 
To hope is to expect. It's to anticipate. But why? What is the basis for our hope? Well, the basis of our hope is not conjuring up a positive mental attitude. Rather, it's actually what God has done. As we sit here this morning as people of faith, our hope is in what God has done. You may have sung the song like I have. My hope is built on what? Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is built on God and on what God has done. There's this verse in Scripture. Paul's writing to Timothy about life, and he says, Our life, we, have, we live in hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Now, in writing about that, he's reminding us that the Scripture promises, if you believe, God gives you what? Eternal life. Life in the Son, life in Jesus, if you believe. And so our hope is based on what God has done in Jesus. The stump has sprouted. It's sprung up. Now, as I was thinking about a stump, an old tree that was cut down, uh, my mind went elsewhere to another tree. And on that tree, a man was nailed and died. In fact, he said, it is finished. And those who followed that person were very discouraged. In fact, one of them said, we had hoped he would redeem Israel. But he didn't, is the implication. And you know the story of how after Jesus was nailed to the cross and died, he was taken down and placed in the tomb. And those who had followed Christ, it seemed like the the tree had been cut down. This hope had grown in them, and now it's gone. He's dead. He must not be the Messiah. But on that first Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. The angel had rolled away the rock. And God's Spirit had come upon the one in the tomb, and he was alive, and the tomb was empty, and the word spread. Do you see a connection there? A sprout has come up. A sprout has come up. And that's what Isaiah was talking about. And so this morning, our hope is not based, again, on our own good fortune or bad fortune. It's based on what God has done in Jesus and what God can do with a stump that's cut down and can grow again. So it's based not only on what God has done, but it's based on what God will do. This is the Advent season. We are celebrating the first coming of Jesus Christ. We tell the story of the baby in a manger. We tell the story of the shepherds. We tell the story of the wise men. That's Christ's first coming. But that's not the end of the story, is it? We're not just looking back to a time in Bethlehem. We're going to begin at Advent season to move toward Easter and looking forward to Jesus' words being fulfilled when Jesus said, I will come again. You remember the angels when Jesus went into heaven said, just as you've seen him go, you will see him return. And so we're looking forward also to the second advent, the returning of Christ. You can have hope because of what God has done and because of what God is doing through Jesus Christ. So one more time, let me come back to this stump, the broken places. Stumps broken places, and hope. What's it all mean? This recently, uh, a friend of mine called and she said, I'm going to be visiting um, a woman who's 29 years old. She's married. She has children and she's dying of cancer. She's very sick. She's in the hospital. And I don't know what scripture to read to her. And I said, well, I think you should read scriptures about peace and hope and pray for her to find peace and hope in this situation. Now, I said that because my mind immediately went to a friend I had in the same situation. 
And as he went through his journey, I was amazed at the hope he found in Christ and the peace he found in the midst of a difficult situation. There's a cemetery in uh, New Hampshire, and there's a tombstone there, and on that tombstone are these words. Sacred to the memory of Amos Fortune, who was born free in Africa, a slave in America, he purchased liberty, professed Christianity, lived reputably, and died hopefully. November 17th, 1901. He was 91. Now, this morning, as you and I conclude looking at Isaiah, uh, could you name a stump in your life? If you were to come up here, could you write down a, a particular stump that, that's there? Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's a career that you thought would go this way and it got cut off. Maybe it's some childhood dreams you thought would flourish and they haven't. Maybe there's some family relationships that... Uh, seem to be separated and cut down right now. We all have stumps in our lives, don't we? We all have those difficult places. God's word to us this morning is that the stumps aren't dead. They're places where God might create a shoot to grow out and blossom something you could have never dreamed of in your life. The, uh, the Bush, the President Bush, the Bush, uh, George Bush and his wife, Laura, every year they send out Christmas cards. And after September 11, uh, they always have a verse on their Christmas card, and after September 11, Laura realized, I need a new verse. I need a different verse. And so that year, 2001, here's the verse she chose for their Christmas cards that they sent out to people. Psalm 27:13. I'm still confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's hope. That's hope. And that psalm goes on to say, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So this morning, I encourage you to imagine hope. What does it mean to be a hope-filled person in your life, in your situation, with your stumps? What does it mean to be filled with hope? You can have hope. God can give you hope by the power of His Spirit. I want to conclude today with my favorite verse on hope. It's in your outline. I hope you'll read it often this week. In fact, you might want to memorize it. And it's this. And now may the God of hope. It's a great name for God. The God of hope. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.